Have you ever felt a twinge of worry about AI taking over your job or diluting your creativity? Well, what if you could turn that fear into creative fuel? We've just published an amazing new ebook called The Four Keys to Success in an AI World. And this is more than just a guide. It's a deep exploration into the human skills that AI can't touch. The skills that are essential for standing out and thriving, no matter how much technology evolved. We're talking about real differentiators here, like creativity, emotional intelligence, critical thinking, and much more. Inside, you'll find actionable insights and strategies to develop these skills, whether you're a creative person, a business person, or just simply someone who loves personal development. This isn't a story about tech taking over. It's a story of human creativity thriving alongside AI. Picture this, AI as your creative co-pilot, not just as a tool, but a collaborator that enhances your unique human skills. The Four Keys ebook will show you exactly how to do that and view AI in a new way that empowers you instead of overshadows you. Transform your creative potential today. Head over to unmistakablecreative.com slash four keys. Use the number four, K-E-Y-S. That's unmistakablecreative.com slash four keys and download your free copy. In spite of all our communication technology, no invention is as effective as the sound of the human voice. When we hear the human voice, we instinctively want to listen in the hopes of understanding it. Even when the speaker is searching for the right words to say, that's because the human voice resonates differently from everything else in the world. This is the Unmistakable Creative Podcast. Listen in on candid conversations with creative entrepreneurs and insanely interesting people. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. 
To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weightloss. That's plushcare.com slash weightloss. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. As creators, we're always on the move. Whether it's a live podcast event, a pop-up shop, or a workshop, we're constantly interacting with community, and that's where Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe comes in. Imagine this. You're at a live event, a listener loves your merch, or a participant wants to sign up for your course on the spot. With Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe, you can accept their payments right there and then, right from your iPhone so there's no extra hardware or no delays. Total game changer. It's not just for creators. Any business owner can do this. It's about making transactions smoother and much more personal, growing your business in your way. We've been using Stripe for our products and courses for a long time. And now with Tap to Pay on iPhone, you can take your business to the next level too. So visit stripe.com slash tap iPhone to learn more. Remember folks, with Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe, your business is always at your fingertips. In this episode, my friend Dave Ursillo returns to the show to share his story about grit and persistence that resulted in the turnaround of a business that was on the brink of failure. Dave, thanks so much for taking the time to join us. Hey, Srini. Thanks so much for hosting me. It's awesome to chat with you again. I mean, our paths cross enough throughout the years on and off, whether we're uh, at a conference or just bumping into each other on the street in New York or L.A., but it's really great to be back with you. And, and like you said, I mean, the first time we chatted on what was Blogcast FM two years ago, I mean, it feels like five years ago. I feel like a, another human being ago. Um, you know, I think we talked right, right around when I published my my first book in 2011 and, and just the the amount of challenges but also like just amazing moments that have come uh, since then they've all been really hard fought but I'm really excited to just share as much of the story and the advice and so that people don't have to go through the four <laughs> to five years of struggle like I did that's what it's all about right now I'm just trying to help people who are passionate creatives and dreamers and visionaries who want to help people and also live their lives more aligned to their value system and really making the journey the reward. And to, to be able to do that without, like like we said, Streety, like struggling for three, four, five years before you can support yourself or actually create impact with people. So that's what I'm here for, and I'm really happy to be back. Awesome. Well, let's do this. Let's uh, let's take a few steps back. I, I want to get into the really early part of your journey because, I mean, obviously our show has grown a lot since you've been uh, here. So, I mean, let, let's really start uh, at the very beginning and kind of how all of your life, your story, your journey has, has led you to do the work that you're doing today? Yeah, man, uh, th it's a great question. And, and the, the short story that I usually tell people is that I come from the world of politics and public service. I was 15 years old on September 11th, 2001, and I was growing up in here in the uh, in a very nice suburban area in the home state of Rhode Island. And, you know, I, like many high school-age kids at the time, watched two planes fly into two buildings and thousands of people die live on TV. And it was at a time when I was really 
starting to become politically conscious or just conscious of, of the world and of people. And when I watched this event, it really cemented in my brain the want to help people, the want to be a solution, like a, a force of love and service and, and good leadership to help people in a world that really appeared to need it. And uh, I spent nine years of my life from, uh, or actually probably like eight years, nine years uh, through high school, college and beyond, trying to find a career path that validated that feeling that I felt. And I, I tried to find a career path in, in politics and public service. Uh, I dabbled with the idea of going into the military uh, as an, uh, an officer in the United States Army. Uh, I thought about journalism, became editor-in-chief editor of my student newspaper, Holy Cross, in Worcester, Massachusetts. Uh, and I became a White House intern in 2008 under the Bush administration and ultimately started working in 2009 as a body man, which is... Uh, kind of a catch-all position for a right-hand man, a personal driver, personal assistant, schedule keeper, phone call screener, uh, driver, just like the whole nine yards for a campaigning politician in 2009. And this was at, a, you know, I was like one year out of college. I had a job that by every indication was a really good job. It was a state job, which, I mean, I, my boss was a political uh, political office holder, so I kind of was dependent on that, on, on him winning to maintain my job and position. But other than that, it was a state job, which came with benefits, and it's a secure job for the most part. And um, But that funny thing that we call the quarter-life crisis began to settle in when uh, I was a year out of college. I had all this piss and vinegar in me and these dreams and, and really wanting to change the world and, and just like, you know, do, do something with my life right now that, that would feel like I was doing more than just waiting to help people. And, and being told that I needed to wait 10 or 20 or 30 years before I could start helping people because I wasn't wealthy enough. I didn't own enough. I wasn't powerful enough. My job title wasn't good enough. And that really burned a hole in my sides. And um, I only lasted a few months in that job because I was just, I was riddled with depression. I was dealing with anxiety and my body was just shutting down. And I was just, I was losing faith in myself. And for someone like me, Srini, that uh, I've never been the top of the class type of personality. I've never, I've never been top of the class type of talent. Like I just, I don't overflow with the raw genius intelligence. Um, I've always had to fight for just getting to the middle of the pack. I was at a place in my life where I could feel the, the only thing that had ever kept me going, which was my self-belief, just the, just the raw belief that no matter what I was doing, and, I, and even though I never knew how I was gonna figure it out, um, whether it was getting a, an internship at the White House, uh, becoming editor-in-chief of my student newspaper, um, just, just all these like little strides of success, these little moments of victories where I felt like I was making, making ends meet. Uh, when I felt that self-belief start to die, and I describe it like it being an acorn, just like that little acorn in the pit of my stomach where I just knew something could sprout from this place if I believed in it. When that acorn started to wither and die, I just knew I had to escape. I knew that I needed to give myself a fighting chance to do something with my life. Uh, and I knew I had writing in my back pocket. It's always been my passion. I had a dream of writing a book uh, on leadership to inspire people to be leaders in their everyday lives. And I just knew, I knew that I could do more with less than waiting 10 or 20 years, fighting my way through a system, playing games in, in business, playing games in politics, to 
um, be validated or given permission to help people. And, to, and, to, and I, I just believe that I could lead without followers in my life uh, based upon how I lived it and a lot of dedication and a lot of just, just manufacturing love and, and service. And that's when I decided to quit my job. That was uh, four and a half years ago. And I started a blog and started to try to figure something out. Mm-hmm. All right. So ton of stuff here. Um, let's, let's do this. You've heard me say this a thousand times. Let's take a few steps back. I, I want to get mm-hmm. to the very beginning of this. Uh, so one of the things that's interesting to me is that you kind of knew at an early age that you felt compelled or drawn to sort of this mission or message of serving other people. And, mm-hmm. you know, how it played itself out, obviously, ha- has happened in a bunch of different ways, which we'll get into. But I think that this is something that comes up over and over again. I mean, for you to realize it at a young age is actually, I think, an anomaly. And as you work with people, um, and you know, as you, as you you know have these people in the workshops and retreats you're doing, all of which we'll talk about, how do you how do you uncover that with them? I mean, especially when you're older and you've gotten to this point of sort of just sleepwalking through your life. Yeah, it's a great question, Serena, because ultimately when I talk to people. And I ask them questions about what they're looking for, what they want, what they need, what they desire, whether it's creatively in a book. And there's usually like that one project or that one nugget, that one belief, that one line, that one idea that we always go back to. And sometimes, uh, you know, to go back to the acorn idea, that thing is an acorn and it gets, it gets you know, topsoil gets thrown on it and leaves fall on it. And, and these, are, these are just the layers of our life that as we go on, all these different things get in the way. And I think that by unearthing, just striving to unearth whatever that acorn is through the course of conversation, and for me, writing is a really powerful method, a very personal, powerful method uh, that I encourage people to engage in, to, 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 dig, to dig deep into their core and, and to dig deep into their soul. And it's usually through the course of conversation, as I was saying, me questioning, because it always takes those questions, those questions that were asked, and they just they profoundly stump us, mm-hmm. uh, to ask them what it is they're really looking for or, or what it is that they're, they're afraid they don't already know about themselves or about what they want. Yeah, I think that you know what's interesting is I, I think that often when we start with those questions, we want these sort of immediate answers. And I, I think that we – rather than looking for answers, I think really what we have to do is we have to treat these questions as sort of an inquiry and, and a mm. journey into who we are because it, it's, it's like you – know, it's like, hey, here's an opportunity to get to know yourself. And it's, it's terrifying because you know, often what you'll uncover can be very uncomfortable. Yeah, and, and you know what it is, Srini, is that I said in the course of conversation or in the course of writing, but I mean, when I'm working with somebody and I'm talking to them, in the course of a conversation, you start to use certain words and you start to say things in a certain way. You start telling a story, just kind of like I told this, this long-winded story to kick off our conversation, and you start noticing patterns of, of word usages and you start noticing those little tiny disclaimers that people will place around their ideas or what they want or what their passion is. And they'll say, you know, I'm just an aspiring writer instead of saying, I love to write. Mm-hmm. And, and through the course of conversation, you can really start to dissect exactly where somebody's mindset is, where, where, their, uh, where their own self-belief rests and where they're challenged. Uh, and you can start to hear actually through the course of their word usages, their sentences, their paragraphs, the values that they hold dear about what they want most and how, not, not even what they want most, that's the wrong thing to say, but how they want what they want. Mm-hmm. And, and the, the core 
beliefs, the values that we strive to live by every day that really define our overarching experience in life. You know, I, I don't just want to write a book and for it to be a bestseller, Srini. I want to write a book my way. And I want that, that bestseller someday to read in a way that, that feels a certain way to somebody. It can't just be, it's not just about those details, mm -hmm. about the, the outcomes, the end goals. I really, as an artist, I want it to feel a certain way. I want my own experience to feel a certain way. And so these are the things that really come out when, when we're talking to one another in the, in the course of conversation, when we dig deep enough, I start to notice those trends, those habits, those patterns, uh, and it really starts to, if you can just reflect them back, that's really my job. Mm -hmm. I just reflect back what you're telling me. I reflect back the things that you kind of automa automatically say, um, that, that you automatically think, and, it, and just shedding a little bit of light, a little awareness on those words and, um, and, and those values really start to help somebody realize what that acorn is that's lying underneath that debris. Yeah, no, this is this is brilliant. And, uh, you know, I'll throw in one tactical thing for those of you guys. You may think, okay, this all sounds really sort of new agey and psychobabble, but we'll <laughs> give you, we'll give you a, a, a tactic that you can use. Danielle Laporte talks about this in the Firestarter sessions. Go out and have somebody interview you, and you'll be kind of blown away by what you uncover. I mean, part of why I'll often go back and listen to conversations where I've been interviewed is I uncover a lot of threads for content, for, for newsletters. I mean, a lot of sort of my core values I've, I've realized have been articulated. And the thing yeah. is we take that for granted uh, because, because you know, it's so second nature to us to tell our story. It's like, oh, okay, well, whatever, there's nothing in that. But when you sit down and you tell your story, and, and again, you know, really, I think that if you sit down and write out what your story is, a lot of the language that Dave is talking about will become very apparent. And, and mm. often what you don't realize is that language creates a context and maybe your language is creating a very limiting context, um, and and once you start to let go of that, a lot of things will start to open up. Absolutely, Srini. And another practical thing when I talk about, um, I mean, the, the 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 literal process of writing for me has always been that kind of first step of understanding what I actually think, feel, and believe, uh, which seems obvious enough. But I mean, the first time I actually realized that that what I was writing on paper was what I was choosing to believe, and thus that the story that I told about myself in my head or I told to, to someone like Srini Rao um, is, is a matter of choice that I was really kind of shaping uh, in a very, very, very real, tangible, practical way. There's no, uh, there's, there's no psychobabble about it. I was, I was literally shaping what the reality was that I was living. Mm -hmm. And it's the type of thing where if you apply it to something like we used to talk about, about uh, brand, like creating your first blog platform or your brand, the words you use to describe yourself is going to attract certain people or, or dissuade certain people from paying attention or getting on board. So it's, it's really that simple uh, that you, the words that you use really matter because we're not living in bubbles. We're living amongst other human beings, and what they hear us say, and how they, you know, how they hear us uh, tell our stories about what we want or what we need. Um, whether it's it's a huge dream, a lifelong dream, a, writing a book, a bestseller, or just saying like I need to go to the supermarket for X, Y, and Z. It's it's what it's not what you say that matters. It's what people hear. Oh, love that. I think that's brilliant. Well, let's do this. Let's switch gears a little bit, and mm -hmm. let's talk about sort of your experience as a, both as the editor-in-chief of the newspaper and as a White House intern, because I think that, you know, there's there's a sense of public service that I'm finding as a theme throughout everything you do, and I want to talk about that and how it's applied to everything that you do now, but I'm really curious kind of about lessons learned 
from working with somebody in politics and working as the editor in chief of a newspaper that have, have sort of influenced and shaped everything that you do today? Like, what are the things that are sort of timeless lessons that you've brought forward with you? Yeah, those are great questions, Srini. And I, I, honest to God, I don't think I've been asked them maybe ever, uh, or if just just in su- it has been such a long time um, that it's a really it's a really interesting topic to open up. I mean, for for being an editor in chief of student newspaper, I was a co-editor in chief with a friend of mine. Her name was Mia Martinez, and she's uh, a lawyer now. And uh, it, that's a that's an interesting coincidence because Mia and I were actually the subject of. Um, we were named in a federal uh, lawsuit against our college. Um, we were we were co-defendants in a discrimination case that was levied against uh, our alma mater back in about probably 2007. And the case was ultimately dismissed. It was baseless. Um, but what happened, and this is probably the biggest lesson that I've learned, is Mia interviewed uh, an employee of our college at the time to ask him about this program that was run. It was kind of a, basically billed as an affirmative action sort of a, an organization. And it was meant to help acclimate uh, students of color uh, because my school was predominantly kind of like a, like a white Catholic school. And that was the image of it. So um, it dissuaded, so the school thought, uh, students of color from applying and wanting to become members of the college. So this program was established to kind of help acclimate students of color, and Mia uh, was Hispanic, and she was was invited to become a part of the program. Long story short, she wrote an article about this program, and the, the man that she interviewed threatened to sue her for libel uh, because he didn't like the way that he was portrayed in the article, which was a piece of reporting. Uh, a year goes by, nothing happens, the man's contract is not renewed by the school, and he believes that he was quote-unquote fired, even though it was an expired contract. Uh, and he believes that he was fired because he was a man of color. So he went to uh, a lawyer and filed um, this discrimination lawsuit against the college and named all these people. And Mia and I, as editors-in-chief of the student newspaper, were co-defendants. So let me tell you, when you get a letter from a federal bureau naming you in a lawsuit uh, mentioning racial discrimination, it is not a great day, especially when you tell your father, who is a lawyer, (laughs) that this is happening. Uh, It was uh, a really terrible sort of an experience. But uh, I think think that, in terms of public service and being in a place of responsibility, really forced me, who was only uh, 20, 21 years old at the time, to understand the gravity of what it means to be in a position of power, but more so what it means to be in a position where everything you say and everything that you don't say can be used against you just as much as it is used to praise you or hold you up. Um, and and that, was, that was a really, I mean, that's the type of thing where I wanted to scream. I wanted to take that newspaper and write every article about this guy and just trash him. Of course, it would be counterproductive. It would be morally wrong. But it was the type of thing where I had to sit and know that I was being sued for something I didn't do wrong and, and just, like, bite it, just take it. Interesting. So one question comes from that because, um, you know, we're, we're talking about, you know, you talked about being in a position of power. And in, in many ways, all of us. Uh, are in a a position of power, a position in which we can share our opinions and our voices because of the, of, you know, the canvases that we're operating with, uh, me in the form of podcasting, you in the form of books and, and blogs and, and writing. And what I'm curious about is 
maintaining the balance between that and being opinionated and authentic. Mm. So the the balance between being responsible with the power that you have and being authentic, essentially. Yeah, because I mean, you yeah. could you could take this whole responsibility thing, and you can say, you know what, the the thing, the question, where I'm trying to go with this is that that can become paralyzing and cause you to yeah. play it really safe. And I can tell you, I did that for a very long time. There are always these things you're afraid to talk about, and I know, I, I can tell you, the moment I started talking about the things I thought would be the end of me, those <laughs> are the things that changed everything. Right. Yeah. And, and I think it's a, it's a great point, Srini, that the, and, and it's the type of thing where I felt in, in, in light of that moment and being in the field of politics and, and being a White House intern. And this was when I was a White House intern. I mean, it was before Twitter. It was before like, Twitter was was a big deal. It was, it was before uh, Facebook was as big as it is. So I feel really lucky that I didn't ever have to put myself in a position where I was, you know, compromising my image or, or an image that reflected um, a politician or a state or federal office that I was a part of. So I was lucky in that regard. But I think that at the end of the day, you really have to be true to yourself in, in saying what you believe, but what you have to always be cognizant of the fact that what you say is going to be heard. And in today's modern age, what is heard doesn't just disappear. Um, you know, that the, the things that we were ultimately quote unquote sued for were, were kind of this like academic bullshit. Um, and, and it's the part of the stuff that goes on in big business. But this was, I mean, the things that you talk about now, if you talk about today on a blog, on a, on a TEDx stage, in a book, you, you always have to be cognizant of the fact that what you say is going to be heard, it's going to be remembered, it's going to be reprinted, it's going to be saved by the annals of history and, and by the internet. For me, I, I, to be honest with you, Srini, I never think about that story un uh, unless somebody asks me about it. Mm -hmm. I, it has, it's, it's never stopped me from saying something that I believe in. Um, because ultimately what I believe in saying and preaching and sharing and teaching and leading um, doesn't have to do with other people, like individuals mm -hmm. and their actions. Um, and, I, and I really think that that is a reflection of what I believe. Like I strive to lead by example. I strive to use myself as an example, um, not that I'm any better than anybody else, but I'm just constantly trying to push myself to that place where I can say, this is the experience I've had. This is how I failed. This is how I fucked up. This is how I fell down on my face. Um, this is how I struggled to make money for three years as a self-employed entrepreneur. This is how my first book, I never liked it, and I knew that critics who shit on it were right, but I couldn't say that out loud. You know, I, it's constantly uh, what I strive to do for myself, and this is the advice that I would give to somebody who's listening, is don't make the life you're trying to live about anybody else and you don't give them your power. Mm -hmm. Just, just if you can, if you can, and it sounds like it's dangerously egocentric to say something like that, but in truth is the, the life that you're striving to lead, if you're trying to better yourself, you're trying to make a business for yourself, you're trying to help people, it's about the effect, the positive effects, that loving effect, and, and crafting a legacy of love that lasts far beyond the reach of anything that you can see. But if you pick enemies and you pick villains and you make it about them, almost like politicians do, where they don't campaign about themselves, they campaign about how terrible the other person is, they're giving every ounce of their power away because they're making it about something that they're not. And, and that's, that's the situation that I had to experience in college as editor-in-chief was, you know, we, we chose to 
mentioned somebody by name and we shouldn't have even done it mm -hmm. uh, because that gave him the power to sue us for libel. And it was thrown out, but we still gave him that opportunity. Love it. Okay, so a lot of good stuff here. So let's do this. Um, I, I want to start getting into sort of the piece of where you know the journey starts in terms of the entrepreneurship piece and, and you know deciding to quit your job. But rather than sort of recognizing that moment uh, of knowing, hey, it's time to make a change, because I think we, we've really belabored that point quite a bit in many yeah. episodes. I, I don't want to spend too much time on that. Yeah, agreed. I'm, I'm a bit more interested in sort of this whole idea of knowing that, hey, uh, I'm going to lead without followers. I mean, I think that that takes sort of a that takes a leap of faith and sort of a radical mindset shift to say, you know what, I'm so worthy that I can go and I can lead without followers. Like, how do you get yourself there? And uh, and then we're going to talk about the part that I really want to get into, which is is kind of the, the four-year journey of struggle and then turning it around. Yeah, absolutely, man. And that, that's the stuff I really love to talk about too. So I'll keep it short and sweet. But the the mo the the lead without followers concept. I uh, like I said, I believed in my heart of hearts that I could do something small, profoundly small, unnoticed, no fanfare, um, not multi-millions of dollars, not the next Facebook, not uh, the next Malcolm Gladwell. I believe I could do something within myself that was enough. And it starts as small as a smile on the street to a stranger. That was like the one thing that I always knew that I could give to somebody, even if they didn't smile back. And I would call that leadership because the effect of what that ounce of giving can do could change somebody's life. And just the ability to change somebody's life, just the ability to just, just the opportunity to be grateful, to share love and positivity with people uh, was enough for me to say, I know I can do something small. And uh, the, the philosophy that I began to share in my first book, which we talked about two years ago, was not so much to lead in spite of people. Actually, it wasn't that at all. It wasn't leading in spite of people or leading in spite of, of making enough money to support yourself or leading in spite of attention, uh, in spite of the stage. It was just making sure that you're personally focused on the intangibles that go into your actions and your efforts and your dreams. And those intangibles are selflessness and humility and goodness, that you're not going to get corrupted, not allow yourself to get corrupted by vast amounts of wealth and the allure of, of being just famous and everybody knowing you and being a celebrity. Because we think, Srini, as you and I both know, we think that the more popular we become, the more readers we have, the more subscribers we have, uh, that everything will become easier then. That's what we tell ourselves when we're on the outside looking in. And we'll look to someone like my friend Danielle Laporte and we'll say, damn, Danielle's got it all figured out. If I could just be in her position, everything would be easier. And I, and I swear to God, if you ask Danielle, I'm sure she would say, it gets more complicated the longer you go. And, and the, the difficult part is, is that when you get into a place where you have followers and fans and tons of money coming in, all those things can really change how you begin behaving and, and all those intangibles that I talked about begin to shift. And sometimes you start from a place of wanting to be selfless, a selfless leader who helps people uh, and you wanna put out uh, an amazing product that really, that really changes people's lives. And suddenly it becomes about, you know, that next book, the next product you put out there, how are you going to make twice as much money as the first one? 
And, and that's what, those are those subtle little things that if you, if you don't stay focused on your priorities, it's not to say that money is bad or followers are bad, because it's not about that. But you really need to stay focused on the, the intentional actions, the, the intentional like, emotion that's going into what you're striving to do. I love this. Uh, the, uh, you're, you're hitting some of my favorite like hot buttons. I, I love that you brought up this idea of intangibles and, and character change and, and all of that because you're right. I mean, like, uh, I if I went into my next book trying to replicate what happened with my most recent one, yeah, I'd be doomed from the start. And I, I mean, there's the likelihood of that happening again. I, <laughs> I can honestly tell you, it's probably not that high. Um, right. And I and you have to be and I have to be okay with that. And I am like I've, I've come to terms with the fact that that probably won't happen. Maybe again for another five or six years. Maybe it won't happen again for the rest of my life. I mean, right. It, and I, and that's yeah. And that's the type of thing, Srini, where you where you have to say, I know that th the effects of this of this next book is totally outside my control because it depends on the one who's listening to us talk right now and others just like him or her. It, it, it's it's totally outside of our control. So what can I go back to? Like, what are my, like we talked about before, what are my values? What is the effect that I'm striving to create in that one single soul that might have, an, you know, maybe it will have an effect on two souls instead of one, but maybe it'll just be that one. And, and that's where you really need to focus on. And that, what I notice oftentimes with a lot of people, I mean, this, this all goes back to, to the politics days, uh, is that you, you the, I believe that 99% of people get into politics and public service have the best intentions. And I believe that they were a lot like me, where I just wanted to do good and help people and be a positive force of change in the world. And then you start making compromises because sometimes it's necessary to play the game because sometimes you need to get that, that position, that hire uh, over your competitor if you're really gonna get to that place. And you can make excuses uh, until you're blue in the face, but it's, it's just about, I think, you know, how, how much compromising are, are you willing to stomach? Um, but yeah, for us being creatives now, it, it really goes back to, you have to go back to the, to the absolute core of, of why you do what you do and, and what you're hoping to create in that human being. Mm -hmm. Well, I think this makes sort of a perfect setup to talk about um, where we left off last time we had you here, which was uh, mm -hmm. your first book. Uh, and, and, you know, it's, it's interesting to hear you talk about this process and then, you know, even tell me earlier on in our conversation that admitting to yourself that – because I remember part of what impressed me about the last – your, your first book – wasn't necessarily the content, but you had the mechanics nailed down, and it's amazing that you could nail the mechanics of a, of a self-published launch perfectly. Because I remember when you showed me the book, yeah, um, and I thought, wow, you've printed this beautifully, you've done all these things, and then to admit to yourself that, hey, the critics are right, this yeah. isn't my best work, but more importantly, that you may have compromised in this process. And I'm curious, you know, kind of talk to me about that, because I know this book didn't really live up to the hope that you'd had for it. Yes, really. And so my first book was called Lead Without Followers. It came out in September of 2011, and I wrote it in 84 days. And I wrote it because I believed that the idea was ready. Well, I believed that the idea was ready enough to be heard. Uh, and I was being encouraged. I, you know, my blog, I was, I was been writing a blog for two years at the time at DaveRisolo.com. And this was like the overarching thesis, the theory, my belief, my philosophy was lead without followers. And I had this idea for a book for so long, for years before, and uh, was just being encouraged by people, just, just write it, just write it, just write it, just do it. So I said, okay, I'm going to do it. And I put the highest of expectations that any human being could ever possibly think of on that 
that book project um, because it's all, I mean, going back to that idea of self-belief, there's probably a very fine line between self-belief and just, you know, delusion. Delusion, exactly (laughs) the word I was going to use. Yeah, delusion. And, um, you know, I had really high hopes for myself and I believed in myself and um, I was hoping that showing up once in my first book would be enough to give me the rewards I was hoping for. And what I learned from this book process, this is like the number one lesson that I learned. It's what I've told you about before, Srini, um, when we've been hanging out, is that showing up is required, but it doesn't promise you a damn thing. Showing up is just fundamental. Showing up every day and doing the work, showing up every day and pumping out your your books, your blog posts, uh, your artwork, your podcasts out to the world, whatever it is that you create is just a prerequisite. And nobody is going to reward you for just showing up because just showing up is a battle with self-belief. And what I didn't know at the time, I said that I had self-belief, but what I didn't know at the time, Srini, was that my first book project in that 84-day writing marathon and publishing it, and then after publishing it, watching the fallout and getting you know, making some money, getting some praise, getting some talk, uh, like, you know, some, uh, um, speaking gigs, uh, but also getting criticism and, and emails from people that I thought were friends, basically shitting all over me saying that your, your book isn't good. You need to rewrite it, um, in a really malicious, unnecessary way. Uh, and the shitty Amazon reviews versus the nice Amazon reviews <laughs> and, and, and on and on it goes. It's just, that was the self-belief battle. That was me actually having to, to, to choose myself and to actually say, you know, maybe maybe my book wasn't meant to be like giving me the keys to my kingdom. It was just my first my first audacious act of of self belief in the in the in what I thought had been a life of self belief. But that's uh, that's something that you learn when you first put that one truly deeply meaningful. Uh, idea that that we call that the baby, you know, it was my baby, you put it out into the world, uh, and you realize how vulnerable you are, and how it's, you just, you feel so out of control, but, but the good side of that is, Srini, that my first book totally changed me as a human being, it totally changed me as an artist, because not only did I feel like I was truly an artist, but the reason I felt that in the first place was because when I published that first book and I put it out there and I dealt with all that shit I just told you about, I suddenly felt totally connected to every other creative, every other writer, every other speaker, every other artist, every other human being who's ever done anything that mattered to them and, and struggled. Uh, I felt bound by every artist. I suddenly looked at Paintings on the street being being sold by a vendor, um, books on the bookshelf, blog posts that people were putting out. I looked at, I, I just, I couldn't look at it all the same way because no longer was I judging that work through the lens of my opinions because I ran the gamut as the author of, of experiencing what it was like for people to use their own opinions as, as using me as a whipping board for their opinions. Um, and, and anonymous strangers uh, feeling like they were entitled to, to br- just be f- just fucking brutal, just, just lambast a stranger through a computer screen because they didn't like the book. Like, okay, you don't have to like the book. I don't, I don't like that painting on your wall, but I'm not going to tear you down for it or the artist who did it. And so, so this, the whole process, Srini, to really sum it up was, was that, was that 
I suddenly, I changed because I felt like I became an artist, but I became an artist by feeling deeply connected, resonant, empathetic, compassionate to everyone else who had ever created anything. And, and it changed the way I looked at products. It changed the way I looked at services. It changed the way I looked at anything that could be created. And suddenly, uh, I think by walking through that fire really helped me to understand what it would take to actually write a book that I could be proud of. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. As creators, we're always on the move. Whether it's a live podcast event, a pop-up shop, or a workshop, we're constantly interacting with community. And that's where Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe comes in. Imagine this, you're at a live event, a listener loves your merch, or a participant wants to sign up for your course on the spot. With Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe, you can accept their payments right there and then, right from your iPhone so there's no extra hardware or no delays. Total game changer. It's not just for creators. Any business owner can do this. It's about making transactions smoother and much more personal, growing your business in your way. We've been using Stripe for our products and courses for a long time, and now with Tap to Pay on iPhone, you can take your business to the next level too. So visit stripe.com slash tap iPhone to learn more. Remember folks, with Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe, your business is always at your fingertips. Mm-hmm. 
I love this, man. This is just pure golden poetry. It's, it's genius. <laughs> I'm so glad. I, that's why I didn't say a word. Uh, I think you, you have brought up some very critical points, and I, I love that you brought up that anybody who's created anything goes through this. And I can tell you, you mentioned the shitty Amazon reviews and, and yeah. you know, vil strangers who vilify you. It doesn't matter whether your book sells 10 copies or thousands, you're going to get those people. I, I look at, I have one-star reviews, and I'm like, most of them are personal attacks on you. Yeah. yeah. Um, so, but, but that's the thing. I mean, But I think to me the thing that really sort of stands out is this idea of empathy and, and not viewing other people's creations through the lens of your own opinions. That's profound. Mm -hmm. That, that is truly profound and thought-provoking. I mean, I, I, there's really no tactic there, but it's just – I think that that to me – really, in my mind, is going to push people's buttons a lot and really get them to open up. And, and I think, you know, you're going to show us a side of ourselves that a lot of us are scared. I, I, and I love how you took, you know, you called it this first audacious act of self-belief. Mm. And those acts really, honestly, every one of them is so critical to your growth. Um, each, each thing, you know, you guys are listening to this in 2014. 2013 was a series of those and constantly, you know, wondering, even with enough self-belief to put it out there, but constantly thinking, holy crap, people will, people might not like this or yeah. nobody's going to come to the party that I'm throwing. Yeah, absolutely, Srini. And, you know, here's the funny part. I'm going to, I'm going to pop quiz you real quick. Okay. So what was the name of my second book? <laughs> <laughs> See, I don't even know. So you got exactly, it. but it's good. It's good, good because that makes my point exactly. Because what happened after my first book, in in the fallout of dealing with this, and I was, you know, I traveled around the country and I was doing speaking gigs and stuff. In spite of it, you know, not being my best work, and how could it be? You know, think about uh, the the finger paintings and the drawings you did as a kid that were of your parents. I call them refrigerator monsters, mm -hmm. and, and you, drew, you drew these pictures of your parents. And there's like an arm coming out of someone's eye socket, and the head is like half the size of the page, and they got little twig legs, and they're just monstrous. But you hung those on the refrigerator, and your parents were like, good job. And, and you were proud of them because it was the best you could do. I mean, my, where else, where the hell, somebody who is who's just not an abundance of intelligence, I'm not a genius, I have, I've had no real worldly experience at the time when I, was, when I first wrote this book, um, where, where the hell else could I have gone but to, to make that book my first refrigerator monster and make it that audacious act of self-belief? But here's the point I was going to make, Srini, which is my second book was written in the fallout of my first book, just about nobody knows about it, like if, I, if I'm being interviewed, uh, unless they look it up, because it, it's called God Whispers on the Wind. Mm -hmm. It's a collection of 81 spiritual poems. I published it in August 2012, and I did it, it you know, you mentioned that process, that self-publishing launch process and getting all the mechanics of it right. I did the exact opposite, where I didn't tell anybody. Uh, I just kind of put it out there. It didn't get a landslide of attention, but the, the attention that it did get from readers, they were they, they loved it. It still sells. I still make money from it. I probably have had more readers from God Whispers on the Wind than I ever had from Lead Without Followers. Uh, it's being sold at my local yoga studio, amongst others that I know of. Um, it's, it's, it's read at the end of yoga classes um, across the nation. Not a whole lot, but enough to, to be able to say that. And it's funny because... I am so proud of that book. I, uh, I would have loved to have gone through this major, actually I wouldn't have. It, <laughs> I, I wouldn't have, I, wouldn't, I didn't wanna go through that process again. I didn't want to build expectations and promote and market. I just wanted to write a book that were, there were these really spiritual, 
liberally styled kind of like just like out there in the ethos sorts of poems very reminiscent of if you've read um if you've read any of hafez the daniel ladinsky translations I, I really was inspired by that sort of styling and the word usage and making poems that felt that made people feel good about god in a very a-religious non-partisan sort of way just by feeling connected to another human being so and, and it's funny because it's it, the process was so different and I'm so proud of that book and I'm still so proud of it. Um, and that was the second one. And, you know, it's, it's just funny because there's, for me, there's never been any other way to figure out what I want more of than to like fail and fuck up and, and realize what I don't want. Mm -hmm. And now, I, you know, now I have that second book and that first book um, to kind of compare and contrast how I work and create and, and live my life. Yeah, I mean, this is exactly why I wanted to have you here because our, our, our stories around publishing are so parallel. I mean, we did our, the first blog to book deal book, and I, I did exactly what you know we're saying is, is the mechanics, all of that, and then the small army strategy came out. And I didn't make this huge fanfare about it. I just told 25 or so people, I said, hey, I have this book. Do you want a, a review copy? And, yeah. and I was like, that's it. I'm done. And then I sent my, my you know, I was like, I wrote this book for my people. That's it. And I think the, the other sort of critical part that you brought up, it, to me, what it sounds like is that you enjoyed doing the second book so much more. Like you actually took yeah. joy in creating it, whereas the first one sounds like largely it was to serve your ego and to, to have all these accolades. And I, I, it's something that I feel that I've experienced personally, too. I and mean, would you say that's accurate? Yeah, and it's accurate, and it's ironic because the book was called "Lead Without Followers," and it was and it was about leading without followers. And now, and then I had to, I kind of had to eat my own philosophy, um, and 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 that's where I kind of I let go of a lot, um, and and started to to actually live the philosophy and explore what it meant without having to talk about it in a in book form. But yeah, you're absolutely right. So I think this makes a, a perfect setup. Let's do this. Um, let's let's start talking about how things start to turn around because yeah. um, one of the things that I, I've witnessed with you over the last year, I mean, because I, I always keep an eye on people who have been previous guests on the show, and I also keep an eye on, on potential guests for the show, and, and this is a big part of the reason why I wanted you to come back, um, was that I just started to notice that suddenly you were shipping more, things were turning around, you were building all these things, and it was like, this is not the Dave Rosillo I knew two years ago. <laughs> Something has clearly changed. So talk to me, one, about sort of, you know, I mean, it, you're in this sort of painful process where a book has failed, you know, you have a follow-up book, and it's still not, you know, to the best of my knowledge, like it wasn't thriving. Um, right. It was, you were, you're still kind of, I, I remember when Literati came out, that was the first sort of sign I saw that, wait a minute, this thing looks like it's about to turn around. So walk yeah. me through the, 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 the turnaround process. Yeah, you're absolutely right, Srini. So, I mean, the second book, I, was, uh, I published it when I was living in New York City. Um, this is in the, uh, I was living there in 2012. So this is the summer of 2012. I put the book out there quietly. It was kind of just like, like you said, really wanting to enjoy the process of, of writing or really wanting to enjoy the process of creating something, being proud of it, sharing it with people, and, and watching them feel what I wanted them to feel or what I hope that they might feel. Cause Lord knows a book about spiritual poetry isn't for everybody, but, um, that was a really rewarding process. And I think that that, that instance of me writing in a new voice, I, I mean, that summer living in New York city, my business was legitimately failing. I was running out of money. I had $2,000 in rent that I could not afford by any stretch of the imagination. And, uh, all the, all the ideas I had for, for business, my, my, I had coaching clients and it was just all 
going in the shitter. Um, very eloquent, poetic way to, to, to say it. Um, but, you know, the, the book, I felt like I gave me permission again to do something that wasn't leadership oriented. Because for a long time, I was still beating my head against the wall with trying to do something leadership, personal leadership uh, related. So it's the summer. Uh, and I'm, I realized that I need to go back to my roots as a writer. This is what I, this is why I quit my job. I, I was dying to be a writer, to, to write and to help people communicate better and to use written word and even spoken word to get more connected with your, your true self, your truth, and also to be more understood by others around you, more understood by the world. So I was talking to my friend, a mutual friend of ours. Her name is Jenny Blake. Um, she is formerly of Life After College. That's her, her old blog, um, which she still, of course, writes for. And now she's at JennyBlake.me. And she's an amazing human being, former guest on this show, uh, yoga teacher. And she's just been, she's been a blogger on our level, Srini, right, where she, um, we just kind of been on the journey together. And, and Jenny and I were walking through the streets of Manhattan. And I said, Jenny, I am failing as a writer because I'm not writing. And I'm failing as an entrepreneur because I'm not making any money. Uh, so basically, I'm a big failure right now. What advice do you have for me? And she said, well, listen, Dave, if you want to be writing more, you need to start just doing it. But what if you give yourself a reason to have to write more? What if you start just like a small writer's group of like a Facebook group, 20 people paying 20 bucks a month, and boom, there's some cash in your pocket you have on hand every month. It's guaranteed. It's low cost. It's like no cost. Um, and, and it's just money in your pocket every day. And I was like, Jenny, you are so damn brilliant. Thank you. I'm going to run with this idea. Uh, about a month later, I emerged from the bowels of my, uh, my New York City apartment with what I called the Literati Writers Group. And instead of it being $20 a month, it was started as small as $50, but for a quarter, for three months. And I wanted it to be an online writers group that would function as a support system for a writer somewhere in the world who not only wanted to write more and, and make them keep themselves accountable, but connect with other writers like them uh, and listen to interviews with other authors, but specifically wanted to structure their creative journey around the journey being the reward. And that is so remarkably strange and foreign and different an idea for writers groups, which are most, for the most part, very much competitive full of you know, explicitly built-in critiquing and reviews that can be just outright malicious for no reason, Srini, like we're talking about with these Amazon reviews and this belief that, this sort of cultural belief that a lot of artists maintain that you need to be suffering and struggling and told that you suck and, and be ashamed of what you want. Um, in order to be a quote-unquote artist. And I said, fuck that. Like, that's, that's ridiculous. I want to make a writer's group that's about lifting people up because I know, for me, that written word has been my saving grace. It saved me from depression. Uh, I, I've been able to build a, what was, at the time, a floundering, failing business from it, but I was able to do something with my life thanks to my ability to write and understand myself and communicate clearly with people. And uh, over a year later, that writer's group, you know, the, the membership price has quadrupled. Um, we've had more than 80 plus uh, writers from over seven countries come and go. We have like between 40 and 50 members at any given time. Um, we've interviewed, you know, dozens of amazing authors. It's just been, it's been an absolutely enlightening experience. We published our first book, a collaborative book uh, in the summer of 2013 um, that Mars Dorian, the, the German designer, 
uh, did the cover for us. Uh, Srini, I know he did your book cover as well and is doing some branding for, for the new uh, podcast redesign. So and, and that, that book uh, was number two in creativity on Amazon and number three in creativity and genius uh, when it launched. It's called Before You Quit Writing, Read This. So we just kind of, it's been, it's been life-changing for me. It's been reaffirming, but... It's, it's taken me as an artist, taken me as an entrepreneur to a level that I, I was dying to get to for so long. And it's funny because sometimes it's, it's the ideas that a friend like Jenny Blake will feed you, uh, that you run with, that, that save you. Um, it's, it's something that's never planned. It's something that's it's just a shot in the dark. And by the grace of the universe, you know, I was able to, to pick myself up. Okay, I love this. I mean, well, you know, there's a lot of stuff here that, that's really um, eye-opening to me. One is that it, it, I think it, it's worth sort of just mentioning grit, right, in, in, in this yeah. entire process because you could have stopped before you had that day to walk with Jenny Blake and that idea would have never showed up. And, you know, Jonathan Fields and I talked about this. He said, you know, it, it's the willingness to stay in something so far past when the average person would quit, and that's something that I think I really appreciate about um, your, your story through this is just an absolute – display of grit um, in this. Uh, but, you know, I, I want to, I love that you sort of looked at this and said, you know, instead of a writer's group where there is an outcome, I'm going to create a, a writer's group where th that is all about the journey becoming the reward. And I, so what I'm curious about is, is one, you know, really getting people to buy into this vision, bringing them along for this journey. You know, yeah. let's talk about the tactical sort of approach to building the literati. I mean, you kind of gave us a high yeah. level stuff, but let, let's get into the nitty gritty of it because I think that's what people are going to want to hear is like, you know, people sitting, because plenty of people are sitting on ideas that are small. And I, I want to talk right. about how you go from small to what it is today. Yeah, absolutely. Serena. Great, great question. And so, I mean, all, all the things I've learned, geez, where do I begin? But Here's, here are the key values that I knew that I wanted to build into the Literati Writers Group. I didn't really know how I would build them in, but I knew that I needed them to be part because it's a part of my core philosophy as a writer, as an entrepreneur, as a human being, my beliefs in leadership we've talked about. Uh, I believe that freedom and choice needed to be an integral part of this writers group. So that meant even though we, I think, Srini, you can agree with me on this, in terms of selling something, it, we, we naturally assign a much higher perceived dollar value to being told what to do than being told that we can do it. And by that I mean it's much easier to sell a digital course that has steps, worksheets, uh, and tangible outcomes. It's all about those tangible outcomes, right? And, and it's, it, that's just that's one formula for doing something. It's not the end-all, be-all, but what I realized is in the course of, because I, I dabbled for a while with having like homework and assignments in the group, and what I realized was after a few months of experimenting with that, because we, we naturally do, we just, we just think that being told what to do by a figure of authority uh, must be worth more money, because otherwise, if, if they're not telling us what to do, then how do I figure out what I'm doing? And what I realized in my writers, in the literary writers, this was um, like January, February of last year, that they all felt, they all, they all started to privately express to me a deep anxiety 
that they weren't doing enough, that they were failing, that they weren't accomplishing the goals, that they were that they were failing me as their leader because they weren't doing enough. And I blew up that whole structure of, of giving them weekly do this in the Facebook group of, of um, you know, we have writing prompts that are delivered by email every week and that would, that would contain like an assignment. And it, what, what it was creating the reverse effect that I wanted, which was for writing and creativity and artistry to be a freeing force that made someone feel like they were alive, like they were themselves. And instead, uh, these, these homework assignments, these uh, exercises were making people feel incompetent, unworthy, ashamed, um, and anxious because they weren't doing enough. And Lord knows we give ourselves so much to do. We have so, we put such a burden of pressure on ourselves to, to constantly create like factory lines, uh, and be pumping out things like we're machines. And, uh, that's one example of, uh, I, this was not creating freedom. I had to blow that up. So now the literati writers, I mean, talk about the journey being the reward. It, it's a never ending thing. It's, it's an ongoing year round writers group where we have a private Facebook group for discussion. It's where everybody gets to know one another. We have weekly emails that I send personally to the entire group. I call it a writing prompt. It's sort of like, um, it's a cue. It's a, it's a one liner. Uh, they're all grouped by theme and it's something that can just remind you to write on your own or inspire you to think through a subject, but it's a subject that's about writing or creativity that can easily relate to life. So you don't actually have to open up your, your, your notebook, your moleskin, a blog post and perform or do anything to satiate me as the leader. You ju I just want you to remember that you're, you can choose to write or you can choose to not write and it, you're choosing, and that's the beautiful part. And, and that's ultimately what this group is about, is I'm trying to teach people to choose. To choose to, be, to make sound decisions that you are not regretting, that you're proud of because they reflect what you want, what you need, and what you desire. And ultimately, Srini, I, I think that's why I, I, I teach what I teach about writing creativity, is because they're so powerfully, um, these, these themes are so powerful in reflecting acting back to us more of ourselves. And, and ch choice, free choice and freedom, I think are all really important aspects of being more you and just in living your life according to what you want, need, and desire. You know, I love this. I, I think it, it's so different than the answer I was expecting because it wasn't sort of a step-by-step, -step, here's how I did it, but it, it kind of yeah. really is more centered around um, a, a lot of what you've talked about throughout our, our conversation, which is around sort of, you know, the values. I think one yeah. of the things that I'm, I'm very curious about, you know, it's, it's interesting, you, you went from sort of the, the tangible outcome of worksheets and all this thing. I mean, the fact that one, you were, you had the awareness to recognize that, hey, this right. is actually making people feel like crap. And <laughs> they're pay it's like, hey, I'm paying somebody to make me feel guilty. Right. And, and stripping that. So I think that the, there's two questions that come for me from that. One mm. is, how can people recognize what people need from them in their own work um, when, when they're, you know, how do you, how do you figure that out? I mean, like what were the threads that kind of made, you know, revealed that to you? And, and if other people are looking at that, how can they do that within their own work to create an experience that people just can't help, you know, help, but, but love, um, right. create, you know, what I call an unmistakable or unforgettable experience. Yeah, ab absolutely. Srini. Great question. So remember at the top of our conversation, we talked about, um, we talked about listening to people's words and, and through the words that they use, um, you can really sense how their, their, you can sense their values and you can sense how their values within the scope of the conversation are being met or not being met. And through emails from literati writers, 
uh, personal conversations. I mean, I personally work with everyone of the uh, of the literati writers, and I have a welcoming call with them for about thirty minutes to an hour when they come into the group, and I ask them, "Tell me your story." And I listen to their story from top to bottom. And then I say, okay, well, tell me your relationship with writing. Tell me what I can do for you within the scope of writing and your story. What do you need right now? And it's not always about, hey, I'm going to write a book. You know, it's, it's like it, it spans. It's sometimes it's, you know, um, a newly single mother of three kids who doesn't know why she wants to explore writing, but she knows, she feels in her gut that, Writing gives her some capability of, of finding and understanding what her natural voice is as a human being uh, in, in her life. And listening to the words, it, it's, it all slowly revealed a picture of what it is that, what, what, the, what the core values are um, that, what, how should I say this? Basically, it showed me why people joined the group when they didn't know why they were joining the group. Mm -hmm. And it was these, these underwriting, um, but, but very real values about feeling freedom, being wholly, totally, unapologetically yourself, um, really owning your desires and your dreams, never needing to apologize for what you believe never breaking somebody else down because that they think differently than you, totally just being a, uh, being a source that uplifts, that leads by example, that leads without followers in your everyday life, um, and making the journey the reward. And, and, and it's funny because, like, what does that actually mean? And it's, we talked about this training before we started, uh, that when you're talking about the journey being the reward, it means it's never ending. And it means you almost, in spite of all your dreams and goals that are in the future and everything that's happened in the past, you really need to get clear on what you're feeling and experiencing, wanting and needing right now. Uh, it's why I practice yoga is because um, I, I can't stand it 99% of the time, but it, it always <laughs> is showing, it's always showing me what I'm feeling, what I need. And like, you know, this part of my body just feels terrible. I'm weak today. Uh, why do I have a raging headache? It just, it's constantly showing me. And I don't always complain like that all the time, but it just happens that that's some of the things you think about when you're, you know, on the yoga mat and in these awkward positions and about to fall on your face. Um, and, and writing is, is really similar in that regard because you, you have to choose to write. Um, and when you, you choose, you're, you're revealing something about yourself and you have to be honest with yourself. And it, it's just, there's such, it's such a reflective process that reveals to you more of what's going on within you right now. And I believe, Srini, in the end, that joy and love can only happen in this present moment. It's where you have to start. It's the only place where you can actually cultivate love, we share love, give love. Uh, you can only experience, you can experience happiness in bursts and little moments, but the overarching feeling that I, I experience joy in my life from, from my work, from my play, from just, just being me, um, just from being alive, it can only be felt and experienced in this moment. And so becoming abundantly aware of where you are, um, in your head, in your heart, and in the world is, is just about everything. For me, writing is the means to, to is just one small, itty-bitty, creative form of sensing that. For other people, it might be singing or painting or dancing. Uh, it might be travel 
um, you know, globe frauding. It might be um, just being in love, having, you know, being in a relationship, having a family, the, taking care of kids, um, being in nature. There's so many different things, but I think that all of them, all these different uh, call it a hobby, passion, uh, pastime, vocation, uh, mission. They, they are all meant to show us more of what is going on right in this present moment right now. And, and that's, that's, why, uh, that's it's why I write. But I think when you can help people feel more of what's going on in this moment through the work that you do, you're giving them a profound gift because our minds just want to go everywhere else. <laughs> our minds want to go everywhere else. We want to constantly live in the future. We want to be in the past. Being the moment is so damn difficult. But if you can give them an ounce of awareness uh, truth, just where they can real, realize what's going on within them, what they're thinking and feeling, just reflect that back to them, doors open. And, and that's where I think um, this writer's group has really shown me in a, in a really small way, but it's, it's really revealed to me a lot about myself and people more broadly through, uh, through business and artistry. Awesome. I love it. I, I'm not even going to touch it. Uh, so one other final question around this. I mean, obviously you've taken all of this and now you've expanded it into your first live event. Uh, something, like yeah. I said, our journeys really do parallel each other. Yeah. Uh, and so talk to me about that and then we'll start closing things up. Absolutely, Srini. So, you know, I told you that my goal over 2014 is I'm actually looking to expand the literati writers to about between 100 and 150 members where I want to put a hard cap and the writers group will be basically by invitation only when we reach that, that stage. Um, but from this group, you know, I, I've, I've had a lot of people that have been asking me, can we do a retreat? Can we do an event where we, uh, and, and I've, I've gone to New York city and I've pulled people together, you know, like about 10, five, 10, uh, literati writers. And we've gone to, uh, book launch events. Um, we've, you know, we've gotten together out in Portland over the summer for different conferences and stuff. So we've gotten together, but I really wanted to explicitly cultivate an event for, for the literati writers, but, but our friends who also aren't members and just really vibe on this wavelength. So I created a retreat, which is happening January 17th to 19th in, uh, West Greenwich, Rhode Island. And people are terrified when I mention January in, in Southern New England, like it's Siberia and at a gulag, but, uh, um, I promise you, it's not going to be like you'll go home. You'll you'll find your way home after. You're not gonna you're not gonna disappear. But um, the retreat is called Weekend in the Woods, and uh, it's a writing and yoga retreat. Alexandra Franzen, who's a, a friend, she's an extraordinarily talented communicator, writer, author. Um, sells uh, or or leads sold out workshops across uh, the United States and Canada. She is just an, a, an amazing amazingly gifted communicator and somehow I managed to convince her to come to spend the weekend with us and uh, to lead a workshop of her own. So the, the whole weekend is about using, uh, basically it's, a, it's, it's about writing and doing yoga and being together and eating good food and just giving yourself the space to, to be you um, and against a beautiful scenic wintry backdrop kind of like Henry David Thoreau at Walden, which is only uh, 50, 60 miles away from Rhode Island here. Um, but the whole idea of the actual workshop is the parallels between body movement, uh, physical practices like yoga, and opening up your natural creative energies. Because I believe, as I mentioned earlier, there's parallels between the two where 
uh, I believe to, to be a practitioner of yoga, no matter what your level of experience is, um, you really need to trust yourself and listen to yourself in the present moment. And I think that that's the key for writing really well, communicating really clearly is, is you need to find that, you, you tap into that presence and find yourself in the moment um, in order to be, you know, unapologetically you, as I like to say. Uh, absolutely brilliant. I love how you've, you know, kind of taken all these elements and brought them together um, to just keep playing a bigger game. So I guess that, you know, that'll be sort of my final question uh, before my closing question mm. is you know, one of the things that uh, Greg Hartle and I talked about this on Blogcast FM backstage. You know, one, we, we, we just keep leveling up, right? You go from mm. book to the next thing, to the next thing, you know, like I went from a book to a conference, you know, and then yeah. uh, each, each thing just is a bigger risk with uh, a potentially bigger reward, but also the failure is much bigger. If, if you if you screw up, it's way more public. <laughs> like if yep. the Instigator launch after seven months of talking about it didn't have a soul that signed up, that would feel pretty humiliating. Right. And, and, and I mean, I think we, we both have, have wrestled with those demons. And what I'm curious about is sort of, you know, finding it within yourself, sort of, um, you know, each, each little, what, you know, you start with small acts uh, of audacious self-belief and then you start taking bigger ones. And what I'm curious about is how people get to the bigger ones in your opinion. Yeah, I think, I mean, we talked about how it's incremental, right? Mm -hmm. Um, and I, I remember launching my first, like my ebook, there was like a collaborated ebook. I just, I think you really, it's, it's in that regard, I think, you, I don't think you can skip ahead. I think you really need to be tempered in the pace um, and tempered in your expectations for the pace of your strides. And, you know, talking about the journey being the reward, that old adage, I'm going to keep drilling it into your head. Um, I mean, the most you can do right now is take one step. The most you can do tomorrow is you're going to take another step. And, you know, my just just having all these flashes of memories of all the different things that I've done that terrified the shit out of me. And doing this retreat, I'm super excited for it. It's really small. It's only going to be about 10 or 15 people. Um, but it's still, it's, I'm, I'm outside of my comfort zone. It's not even my zone of genius, like event planning and, and working with, you know, retreat con like contracts and and all these different things it's just it's it's terrifying me i've i've stayed up at night a few times within the last few weeks just thinking about it you really need to start from exactly where you are there's nowhere else to begin and and you need to con consistently make those little steps and and take those little victories in stride and i think you'll be ready when you're ready and you'll know when you're ready and if you're not ready then you're going to have your first book show you that your first book, your first book is a, just a first book and not uh, and not your your key to you know uh, the TEDx stage it's just it's just those all those little strides and, and it'll keep you in check if if you know things go awry if you if you fail or your expectations you know you don't meet expectations that you had uh, i think i just think that people I think that cash flow and I think that um, how it feels to you deep down will all be those kind of indicating factors that, all right, maybe I wasn't ready for this, but it's no reason to not try. You just need to constantly listen to, to those factors and, and give it your best from exactly where you are. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, I think a, a lot of this comes down to patience and uh, we're, yep. we're really not patient uh, is what I've learned, but I think <laughs> you and I have... Have have been on on quite a quite a roller coaster ride together. So I'm going to close with my final question, Dave, uh, which you probably heard me ask a lot of people. You know, you've we're both of us are in an interesting vantage point where we've been around this world for four years, and and you've mentioned a lot of people, people like Alex Franz and people like Jenny Blake. 
you know, some many of who started, uh, even some after us, like there yeah. are people who have started after us who have been far more <laughs> successful. Um, and one of the things that always comes up for me is this constant dichotomy of, of sort of the people who have everything they want, right? Like they're thriving. Mm. And then the people who, you know, kind of honestly, in a lot of ways felt like we did, um, throughout yeah. this, this sort of, Hey, you know, I'm not where this X person is at. And what I'm curious is, you know, having made such a, you know, drastic turnaround, what do you think it is that separates the people who get to where they want from the ones who don't? It's a great question, and I wish I knew the answer because I would, I would, I would take so many shortcuts to get where I want to go. Um, I think, you know, my honest opinion is I just think that some people just, I don't, maybe they're, they're faster learners than I am. Maybe, I mean, I know people are much smarter than I am. I think some of the people I've mentioned in the course of our call today are just so intuitive, cunningly brilliant not in like a not like in a like a villainous sort of a way, being cunningly brilliant, just just being really perceptive and adaptive and responsive. I think we all deal with uncertainty and the unknown to various degrees. I know for me, uh, I talked about being an artist and feeling that sense of empathy and connection to people. I'm a I'm a deeply empathetic person, and I think that that's a gift for me as a writer and a storyteller. But sometimes it it drags me down. It sometimes it's it's something that I need to keep in check. When I'm when I'm working with business, uh, I'm I'm making that major leap, and I just feel so damn like on the edge of just collapsing into myself because I'm just so terrified of what I don't know uh, and how I'm going to figure it out, uh, and just knowing that those moments are always going to be there. But you know, I, I don't really know. All I know, Srini, is that this experience is my own, and I'm finally in a place where I feel like I'm genuinely owning it, and I, and I've owned it every step of the way, but I've owned it in, in major failures. And like I said, the fuck ups and falling down. Um, and I think I've just been willing to fail and fuck up and fall down. And that's helped me get where I'm going for me. The, the best way, the only way I've really known how to learn is by trying and either and just figuring it out as I go. And sometimes that's a very slow methodical process, but, um, I think that we're, the position that I'm in today, and it sounds like the position that you're in today as well, I really want to help people get where I can see them going or where they want to be going uh, without needing to go through the years of suffering and struggle. Um, there's, there, those years are always going to be there. There's never going to get to a point where you have, quote, unquote, made it. And like you said throughout this call stream, you're like, I'm going to hang up this phone and uh, and go back to doing my work and, um, nothing's gonna, nothing's gonna promise that tomorrow it'll all work out, but uh, I just got to keep going. I gotta keep taking those baby steps and I got to keep remembering that the journey ultimately is the reward. There's no land that I'm going to find that's going to give me everything that I think will make it easy or just luxurious. And, um, because that's, that's the life that I've ultimately chosen for myself. It, it's, you know, leading without followers, that whole philosophy is just, just, just doing, just going, just, just keep going. Uh, and as long as I'm, I'm just keeping on, keeping on, as the saying goes, then I, I got to chalk that up to a success. No matter what anybody else is doing around me, I wish them all the best. Um, they can buy the drinks if they're rolling in the money. But uh, other than that, I just got to keep doing what feels right by me and helping people uh, achieve that same effect. Awesome. Um, well, Dave, I think that makes just a, a beautiful way to sum up our conversation. 
Um, just want to say I can't thank you enough for uh, coming back to our show for a second time and uh, sharing some of your insights with our listeners. It's been really exciting to watch uh, this whole turnaround happen for you. Thanks, man. It's it's been an absolute honor. It's you know it's my pleasure. I'll be back anytime you need me, anytime you want me, anytime you want to just take the leash off and let me talk endlessly because I have that ability. Um, but I'm but I'm here for you. I'm here for for you, the listener. Uh, and I would encourage everybody if you know if you want to drop me a line. Uh, David, DaveRosillo.com is the best way to email me. Uh, my inbox is almost always empty. Uh, knock on wood. I don't know where all the emails come from that everybody gets drowned by. But uh, happy to talk with you. Check out the Literati Writers. You'll be a welcome addition to our community at LiterativeWriters.com. And other than that, onward and upward from here. All right. And uh, for those of you guys listening, uh, as I mentioned at the beginning of the show, uh, you know we'd be really grateful for an iTunes review if you haven't left one. Uh, and we will close the show with that. Thanks for listening in on another candid conversation at the Unmistakable Creative. Embrace your inner misfit, express your creative voice, and remember, the goal isn't to live forever, but to create something that will. catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. 